What's going on guys? It's Nick here, back in the video. It's Wednesday, time to take a look at the players I'd be trading for this week. We'll start off with running back, where I see two clear top buy low candidates. First up, Jameer Gibbs. This is probably the easiest one of the week. Gibbs looked incredible on his limited touches last week, somehow breaking a league high six tackles despite only nine total touches. Dan Campbell said after the game, the plan was to limit his workload as I try to ease him in to more and more touches every single week. I mean, we've known going into the year that this is going to be an elite offense. They are going to feature both of these running backs heavily, but the split was obviously much wider in favor of Dave Montgomery and Jameer Gibbs in week one. That's slowly going to converge, and then Gibbs is going to take over as like, I don't want to say the feature back, but like effectively the feature back on other teams, right? The total volume and quality of volume will make it so that you would rather have him than have him featured on many other teams in the NFL. I'm fairly confident in saying he's going to finish as a running back one in points per game this season. And I know that it may have been frustrating in that opening game, seeing Montgomery get all those carries, especially for people who started Gibbs. But I think it was pretty clear Gibbs is a more explosive back. He's the one you really want in fantasy. The per-touch upside is insane. And the Lions aren't dumb, right? Dan Campbell is not Arthur Smith. He's actually going to use his best players. And so Gibbs is going to see his role increase very, very quickly. And again, I really think he's going to be running back one of points per game this season. So I'd be going after him heavily in the trade market. The other running back I'd go after this week is Josh Jacobs. He only had 43 yards on 19 carries. He added in two for 23 through the air on, I believe, three targets. But it's the snaps and like the share of the offense, basically, that was so impressive. Even having held out for most of camp, right? You would have thought maybe in week one, that would have been the time where he'd have like the most limited snaps if they weren't confident in getting him, you know, game ready. And maybe there was that chance where, you know, they were hyping up Samir White over the offseason. We kind of knew that was just a smokescreen, them trying not to give too much leverage to Jacobs. But week one was the opportunity, right, for him to not see significant touches. Uh, he commanded 21 touches compared to two for Zamir White, zero for Amir Abdullah. And if you look at the total touches on the offense, like, this is such a consolidated offense. 21 for Jacobs, 9 for Myers, 6 for Adams, 2 for Zamir White, 1 for Hooper, 1 for DeAndre Carter. That's it. That's nothing, right? That's six total players receiving touches on offense with three of them combining for four touches. Jacobs, Myers, Adams are going to see the vast majority of the volume. And Jacobs had 52.5% of all offensive touches, 91.3% of all running back touches. So in other words, he's being used in the exact same roles he had last season when he was a league winner. So he is a priority target. If you're looking for a running back one, it's him and it's Gibbs. At wide receiver, we'll start off on the little bit of the lower end with Traylon Burks, only two receptions on three targets for 18 yards, added in a nine-yard carry, but he had a 90% snap share. He ran a route on 95% of dropbacks. Now Hopkins dominated with a 38% target share, but his 13 targets only resulted in seven receptions for 65 yards. And if that level of inefficiency were to continue, you're going to see more looks going to Traylon Burks. We should also remember 
Burks missed most of camp with a knee injury. Uh, the Saints are also the third most difficult matchup for opposing wide receivers. So I'm not willing to write Traylon Burks off after one bad game. Does Hopkins limit his upside? Absolutely. Is this a great passing offense? Absolutely not. So we're not going out here and saying Traylon Burks is going to be a wide receiver one this season. But remember that they traded away A.J. Brown to get him. Uh, and after Hopkins, there is very little target competition. I know some players out-targeted him this week. But like overall, over a long sample size of a season, there's not a lot of competition on this team for targets. So we're not giving up a lot. Um, but you know, whoever drafted him probably did so around what pick? 100, 110, depending on the site, depending on league size, everything like that. But around pick 100, 110, um, they watched and put up a dud. Maybe it was on their bench, but it could have been kind of like their flex spot or the second flex spot. But the point is, they didn't give up a ton to get him, and then he kind of had a dud. And so they're probably looking at him like, mm, I don't really know if I want him anymore. So I think a bench wide receiver could get it done to trade. I think if you added one of these like free agent breakouts, um, I think that could get it done to trade. Uh, people might even drop him. Like, I really don't think you need to send a lot. I would just send like a low ball offer and see if anyone sends something back. So don't give up like flex value to get him. But I think over the course of the season, we could be using Traylon Burks in the flex. And so again, not a lot, but offer something up. Um, I'm not going to have the rest of season rankings up until week three because I really like getting two weeks of data. I don't want to overreact to one week of games, get a new set of rankings out there that are going to be super adjusted again after week two when a lot of things change in week two. Um, but I had Traylon Burks in wide receiver 46 and half PPR scoring this summer. So if I had to guess, if I were to make rankings right now, he'd probably be closer to wide receiver 50. I think it's a slight downgrade watching the game and seeing him not command nearly as many targets as Hopkins, but only a slight downgrade. And I think in people's minds, it's a bigger downgrade than it is. So if someone's overreacting, capitalize on that. Uh, I'd also target both of the Bengals lead wide receivers, but especially T. Higgins. He had zero catches on eight targets, but he had 151 air yards. I don't remember exactly where he landed, but he was top 10 in air yards on the week. Uh, Jamar Chase only had five for 39, but if you think about it, like people can have more pace, patience with Jamar Chase, right? He has a bad game. Everyone knows he's a top three wide receiver. Everyone knows he's going to be fine. So people aren't going to be like, oh, had one bad game. Let's get rid of Jamar Chase. T. Higgins, on the other hand, he entered the season as somewhat of a polarizing player. Uh, he's been someone that has definitely frustrated people in the past, whether it's through injuries or from being up and down, having these dud games, and then going out and having a spike, just, you know, up and down production just frustrates people. But regardless, the stock is down right now after just, you know, a truly horrific game by the entire entire Bengals offense. Um, I talked about this in the waiver wire video, but like, the weather was awful. It was a divisional game, which are always, you know, kind of tough, but also a divisional game in week one. If you have normally, like, these these teams know each other, right? Now they have even more time to prepare and they know each other. Like, you're just not going to see uh, these, like, amazing breakout games as often. And so you combine the weather with that. You combine that with uh, Cleveland being the second worst matchup for opposing wide receivers. You combine in that Burrow missed most of camp with the calf injury. It's like looking back, we shouldn't have expected what happened, right? What happened was probably a, a bottom 1% outcome, but we shouldn't have been shocked that they didn't, you know, exceed expectations or meet expectations. A bad game probably should have been something that we should have looking been looking for. Uh, and so we shouldn't be shocked looking back. Um, I feel pretty good saying that the Bengals are going to be a very, very good offense this year. And once they bounce back, 
it's kind of over, right? Like if T. Higgins next week goes out there and has seven for 100 and a touchdown, you're going to have to wait at least a month of bad games before getting him again. But after a zero, maybe someone's willing to be like, oh, is it going to be this bad all season? Maybe I reached for him. Maybe you can get a little bit of value there. Drake London up next. Kind of have to talk about Drake London. Uh, I think the worst part about Arthur Smith is that he doesn't understand that what he's doing is wrong. And it's like when that happens, when people like are being incorrect and doing something, but they don't realize it, they're never going to correct it, right? Nothing's ever going to change. Like he's going to look to their wins last year and be like, well, we were a decent team. He's going to look to winning this week and be like, well, we're winning, right? We should keep doing what we're doing. But they got so unbelievably lucky to reach seven wins last season. And while they won by two scores this week, they were at home. They were playing a rookie quarterback in week one who played bad and committed multiple turnovers. Uh, Their offense was being highly efficient, right? They were incredible on the ground. They were very efficient through the air. They should have been up by two touchdowns going into the fourth quarter. But it was a tie game going into the fourth quarter. You need to destroy in those games, right? You can't just win. They should have decimated the Panthers, and yet it was a close game. It was a winnable game for the Panthers. It would have been a complete embarrassment had they lost that game. So since they won, he's going to look back. He's going to continue doing what they're doing. Uh, The Falcons are probably just going to run barely any plays this season. They're going to limp their way to around 500 in a terrible division, despite having the second easiest schedule in the entire NFL with three top eight picks on offense and a top three offensive line. Like, that's probably what's going to happen this season. Now, having said that, right, everyone kind of knows that, right? It's not like that's a secret. Everyone who's rostering Drake London right now understands that the play is going to be down, the pass temps are going to be down, and they just saw a zero reception game. People are going to overreact. I promise you because I've already seen it. I've gotten a lot of questions about should I drop Drake London for Zay Jones, for Puka, for Kendrick Bourne? No, we're not dropping Drake London for Kendrick Bourne, right? Like obviously we're not doing that. So if you were wondering where the state of the market is, that's what people are asking for. And those are the Drake London owners asking, should I trade him away for those players? Should I drop him for those players? So the market is very, very low right now. You are in no way giving up draft costs. So if draft costs, if you look back at your draft, someone drafts in the sixth round, you're not offering up a sixth round pick to get him and be like, oh, well, maybe I should have gotten him in sixth, sixth round, bring him in here. You're offering up something way lower than that. You're looking at a team and saying, well, you know, maybe they had J.K. Dobbins and now they're just destroyed at running back and they have Drake London who they're upset with. I'll offer them a very low end running back to fill that void and I'll take on Drake London. It is not something that we're overpaying for. Send a low ball offer. See if they're interested because I know the offensive situation is tough, but he's going to be much better than this on average, obviously, right? He's not going to average zero receptions over the season. He's not going to have a 5.5% target share. That's going way up over time. I still believe he's going to be around 25 to 30% in the target share. He's going to command much more over time. And so if that starts happening and he starts being really good again, it's the same thing with T. Higgins. When you go from zero to a good game, now people are like, oh, okay, the zero is a fluke. Right now in their minds, no one really knows if the zero is a fluke. And so I think you capitalize on that, especially again, if the team's like weak at a different position, you have depth there, use that. 
uh, continuing our trend, apparently everyone decided to not catch a ball this weekend, uh, our third consecutive player, who's good and did not catch a pass, is Dallas Goddard. Zero receptions on one target. Um, I mean, there, there's no concern here, right? And I don't think people who drafted Dallas Goddard are overly concerned, but if they're at all concerned, go for it, right? And he was actually wide open a few times, but Jalen Hurst just missed him um, and not even missed him on like the throw, just like didn't see him standing there wide open. Uh, and the offense overall struggled, but you know, it was in the pouring rain at New England. That's a brutal place to play in week one. You don't want to play at New England in week one. I think the game was a lot closer than everyone expected. I was expecting the Eagles to just decimate us, and it didn't really happen because the Patriots had time to prepare and they're really good defense. So Jalen Hurts only threw for 170 yards. Eagles only scored one offensive touchdown. They're the Eagles. They're going to be amazing on offense. They're probably going to be a top five, maybe top three scoring team this season. You should be trusting Dallas Goddard. Uh, he had an incredible role on the team, 92% of the offensive snaps. I have no concern if the you know person who has them is panicking. Go after him. Other tight end to go after this week is definitely Darren Waller. Uh, three receptions for 36 yards, no touchdowns on five targets, only a 54% snap share. People are going to look at that and be like, well, yeah, it was the hamstring. No, they were down 26 nothing at halftime. They lost 40 to nothing in the pouring rain against the top three overall defense and against a defense that's top three against tight ends. And that's basically what we're looking for here. I don't know if you've noticed a trend for a lot of these players, but if you have an elite player that was playing in a downpour in week one in a terrible matchup and thus performed poorly, maybe you should be sending trade offers for that player. Like not all people that were in that circumstance when the weather gets better, when the matchup gets better, are going to produce really well. Like that's not what I'm saying. Just that many of these players we've talked about today are coming off what will be their worst game of the season. So if there's an opportunity to buy low on a player who didn't catch a pass or didn't play in the second half because it was pouring and they were down by 40 and the team's like, all right, it's over. Like we need to just pack it up and get into next week healthy. If you have an opportunity to complete a trade for that player, it's a smart thing to do. And while not every manager is going to overreact to week one, many will. And so we should be taking advantage whenever someone overreacts to a one game sample. So I have a larger trade targets list up on the website right now, and the initial week two rankings will be up too. So check those out if you've not done so already. I'll be back tomorrow to break down uh, every game in week two in depth for all positions. Very, very large video, but very, very important video as well. So make sure you subscribe to the channel so you don't miss out on that. That, my friends, is in this one. Hope you all enjoyed. If you did, have a hang the like button. And how about subscribing to the channel if you're new here? Thanks for watching.